Pulse Audio Podcast Network. If you're whiny and you know it, clap your hands. If you're whiny and you know it, cause women aren't in textbooks. If you're whiny and you know it, clap your hands. Yay. Oh my God. Welcome to Whining About History, where two longtime gal pals like to whine about women from history that you probably haven't heard of and, you know, get a little tipsy while doing it. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. And I am deeply impressed because Kelly's like, I don't have anything for the intro. I'm just going to wing it. I'm going to wing it. (laughs) And that's what she came up with. That's what happens when Kelly doesn't even try. When I'm just like, I wing it. My God. (laughs) I love it. Just because I'm a whiny little bitch. Yeah, we all are. But we're back on the actual wine train today. Yeah, we haven't drank wine in a while because it's been it's been crazy. And to be perfectly honest, this wine perfectly encapsulates like the, the last I've had. Yeah, the weekend week. You know, it, it's just been kind of nonstop crazy. Yep. So the wine I picked because of that is it has a really grumpy looking. It looks like a boxer. Boxer probably on it and it's called rough day by the way like boxer like the dog not yes, like the dog not an athlete like, yeah. <laughs> so that it is a from thracian valley and it's called rough day and this is a cabernet hell yeah and it says this is a classic cabernet full of intense fruit and spice look for flavors and aromas of rap ripe <laughs> rap ripe <laughs> black cherry and powdered cocoa Ripe black cherry, papa powdered cocoa. No, yep. Emily, stop. <laughs> you are you are the most unmusically talented person in the world. You should not be trying to rap. I was gonna say I'm I'm not like fully drinking, but I am having a little sip. Mm, it's breathing in the aroma. I'll wait till you taste it first. Swishing it around the glass, holding it up to the light, and examining it. Oh, look <laughs> at those legs! Those sweet, sexy wine legs. It's not as robust as I was expecting it to be. Like yeah. it's a very mellow cabernet. Yeah, it's but I almost, actually really like it. Yeah, it's got it's like really muted, but it's good. Yeah, it's uh honestly this is the perfect wine because uh Rough Day has a dog on it. That just looks grumpy as I well. I look like I've had a rough week because my tiniest chihuahua gave me a black eye. <laughs> Emily looks like she got beat up. It and it like not just a Chihuahua, my smallest, runtiest one, Max, oh, yeah. who looks like a Victorian orphan that's not going to yeah, make it through the even winter. Do that. So I was sitting on the floor in my bedroom playing with him. And he just was like, and Pow. I well, I I like leaned down at the same time he was trying to jump up on the bed, mm. and yeah, he so punched. Did he like headbutt you. He headbutt me. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, I feel like he doesn't have enough. I feel like he doesn't have enough power just to like smack you in the eye. But yeah. That would make sense then. Yeah, it's like so, a full body punch to the face. Yeah, he launched himself into the air and right into my face and I immediately had a goose egg and it's it's one of those things that's it's still looking worse and it's not to the point where it's like looking right. better yet. So. I mean, at least your eye didn't like swell to the point where it's like closed. Right, like, right. Because I did have a really big goose egg like just on the side right. of my eye and I was like, shit. It's, like it is at least, yeah, like it's coverable with makeup because it's not like swollen shut yeah yeah, it doesn't especially since it's starting to like yellow around the edge yeah it's not looking too great no no offense honestly you always look beautiful thank you well now I just look beautiful but with a past (laughs) you look beautiful but badass yeah like I'm ready to fucking 
wreck you some see shit. The other guy. Yeah, he, you, he's a two pound chihuahua. Yeah. He's he's totally fine, by the way. Like I know I'm talking about this, like poor me, my tiny dog hit me in the face, but he's fine. He doesn't give a shit. Right. He's just like, oh. Whatever. I honestly, I think he feels more powerful now. Right. Like there he's was like, a, I fuck shit up. It's like paradigm shifts. I'm into it. That's funny. <laughs> I am the captain now. So I noticed this wine is from Bulgaria and I don't know if we've ever had a wine from Bulgaria. Ooh. That would be something interesting is to go back through like wines we've drank and like mark where they're from on the map. Okay. You know, what's super interesting about that. Mm. Is My story. Is she from Bulgaria? Yeah. Or no, sorry. Belgium. Shit. I knew it was one of the bees. Not close. No, no, it's super not. Because remember, we had to learn that Belgium was its own country and not like a city in Germany. That's funny. Uh, which especially after like this story, I'm sure like Belgians are like, or Belgians are like, what the fuck do you think we're in Germany? Like, <laughs> right? we're not cool with that. How dare you? Yeah. Like, it's personally offensive. <laughs> I think I go first today. Um, I do just want to, before we we get started, we have some incredible news to share uh, that you may not have heard of if you're not following us on any of the social medias. Which you should. Uh, Kelly and I were interviewed on our local news station about the podcast. Oh my God. Like, I can die in my obituaries gonna be pretty cool it was funny because like you know I told my family and stuff and my grandma was like you're the first famous person in our family I'm like I wouldn't call me famous but thanks grandma (laughs) and then the person that sold us our house emailed me and was like I saw you on the news last night I was like oh my god that's because he's not of my generation he's older I I was gonna say no one I've known has recognized me from it or been like I saw you on the news except my mom because she got up like early in the morning I mean, to tune in for it. News too. Yeah, but my mom wanted to see it right away. So yeah, I woke up to cute. a text that was like, y'all did so good. Oh my God, you're naturals. That's funny. <laughs> and I was like, I love you, mom. I had one person at work being like, I saw you on the news last yeah. night. But they, they had to caveat that with, I normally don't watch the news, but I was at my friend's parents' house and yep. they had it on. <laughs> yep. Cause, yeah, like, like yeah. I don't have cable, so I, I watched it on their website and yep. used that link to share it yep, that's all over too. the place. And it was also, it was super funny, and I think this is a testament to the amazing people I've surrounded myself with. I posted the link to the video on my personal Facebook, and I wrote, is this real life? With like a head exploding emoji. I'm sorry, I started that. And then Kelly, because she's the best person in the world, comments, I said, no, it's, no, just, it's fantasy. just fantasy. And then everyone else in the comments caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Like everyone kept it going and it was amazing. I was like, I have some pretty amazing people in my life and I'm digging it. But yeah, I mean, we had no, we were totally shocked when yeah, uh, they Samantha, yeah, the, the reporter reached out to us and it was because we had gone to the women's history exhibit, at our local history center and we'd posted some pictures from our podcast accounts and we tagged the History Center in it. They shared our post. Yep. And this reporter saw it and was like, Oh, are they local? Yeah. She's like, Oh, are these chicks from around here? Oh, snap, they are. Let's get on this. And apparently, like, both her boss and like the person that does the stories and stuff, they were all like, Yeah, go do it. Yeah. So yeah. that was cool. She she didn't have to like fight for it. Everyone's like, That sounds awesome. Right. <laughs> But yeah, it was I just total mind blowing, and I I'm really excited. So yeah, if you're not following us on social media, get on that because 
you can see us on the news. It looks so professional. And they even use clips from some of our like I know, Patreon, videos. YouTube videos, and even audio clips. I and know. It was really good. I was like, wow. Pictures from our Facebook. And Kelly sent uh, sent them a picture of us from high school. like College. Or college. Fuck. I know. I said it feels like when I was talking to someone and they were like, you didn't know her in college. I feel in like, high school. I feel like we've known each other for so long. I'm like, oh, yeah, since, you know, preschool, whatever. Right. It's been so long. Um, but yeah, if you want to see, you know, Kelly as a, as a blonde natural hair color. and me with my short black hair, my short black pixie. It was cute. Had a Jason Derulo concert because he came to our campus at the end of the year on like this college like finals year. tour. I think it was, so- it was sophomore year. Cause that's when I cut all my hair off. Yeah. And that would be why I would have blonde instead yep. of red. I couldn't find any pictures that was like just the two of us from our freshman year. Yeah. Yeah, most of the pictures, I mean, this was back in the day where, like, our camera phones all kind of sucked. Right, so most of them are, like, actually from, like, I remember a camera, uploading things. A digital yeah. camera, yep. Uh, Excuse me while I feel old yeah. for a hot Nostalgia. second. But, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, it was cool. Um, the other thing I just want to say, uh, we've been, we've been kind of quiet about this, and that's not intentional. It's because our recording schedule has been ahead so it's like we've recorded episodes and then been releasing them so our timing and our like relevancy has been off but we do just want to you know tell all of our listeners in Ukraine and Europe and like anyone being affected by what's happening in Ukraine we are so sorry like I don't know what else to say it's just it's absolutely awful and just watching unfold on the news and there's such a feeling of helplessness and, you know, the, the, these people are being forced to flee their homes, not knowing if they're going to go, be able to go back. Right. And then not knowing and what's going to be there. Yeah. Exactly. And little kids are, you know, being raised in underground bunkers and moms are having like, and I just, I just want to point out, I, it seems like people are having a very humane reaction to this like i've been seeing so many ukrainian flags flying around just our town and you know people are like donating money and like what can i do to help and oh my god this is so sad and like we're you know taking in refugees and all that and i just wish that this was the way we responded to everything whenever this whenever something like this happens because this isn't new it just seems like people are taking it more seriously and able to empathize better with the victims of it. And I think it's one of those things where it feels like it's hitting closer to home for people. Because even though it's, it's further away than, you know, like the Middle East, people are able to see themselves in in that. It's, but you know, I mean, I don't know if this doesn't bring out the racism and a lot of those refugee crisis crises. I don't know what does, but you know, we know we have listeners all over and we just want to tell any of our listeners in Ukraine, any of our listeners in Russia who are being affected, any of our listeners in Poland, like anywhere, anywhere, if you're being affected by this, I'm, I'm so sorry. And I'm sending you nothing but well wishes. And I'm just, I'm really hoping that this can, um, come to a solution. Yeah, I, like, and that solution is, like, get the fuck out. Right. What the, like, get the fuck out. This doesn't need to happen. It's so, I know there's, I know there's a really long 
history between Ukraine and Russia and it it's, it's not like a positive one but this just seems so unnecessary it, it's not it is unnecessary yeah it's just it's stupid it's awful and th- this isn't going to stop affecting people like this could all end this very second and there's still going to be deep serious ramifications globally Always. politically yeah. and for individuals who had to go through this like watching videos of you know people carrying their you know kids just, to safety yeah, like insane. how do you it's just it's so awful but I did just want to acknowledge that we try to you know we try to be current and that kind of thing and I realized I was like oh my god because we've recorded so many of our episodes early we haven't talked about this yet so again that wasn't because we're we don't care or we're not aware of it <laughs> yeah. um, also to bring up current news that we have been <laughs> missing um justice Kentanji brown jackson yeah so that's huge yeah um, we haven't mentioned that at all i know I think she is still going through the process the interviews yeah so i was i was actually just looking this up friday i was oh just God. looking this up friday and i'm like okay when do we know if she's in or not and she's just yeah she's getting put through it and it's so she's been super graceful about all of it though like she definitely didn't start crying like a bitch um no i'll say that much and it was really sad like it was sad but it was nice like it was one of the other black supreme court justices because there's not a lot of them Mm -hmm. and he was talking to her and he was like basically talking about how like it's so good to like see people of their race like being raised up to these positions and he was talking about like how and like he was almost crying and like how like it's so great to see like these powerful people like and they should need to stick together and like all of this stuff where like so many it was so great to see someone on her side because so many of the other supreme court justices don't seem to be but i also never watched i've never watched any of the interviews of previous supreme court justices so they could be that hard on all of them and I just don't know well and and so her being questioned by the senate has been really rough yeah that's that's what I'm talking yeah yeah apparently they I don't know I don't know what the next step is well I think it's that the senate has to vote and if Mm -hmm, there is a tie then the vice president has the tie-breaking vote which obviously Kamala Harris would vote in favor but it's, I don't know, she's, she's really being put through it, and I really hope it pays yeah, off it's, because it's so... She's so smart, though. She's, that's why I wanted to bring so, it up. Is, she's so intelligent. She's so accomplished. And what a cool... You know, it, it almost feels like a milestone. Right. It feels like a mile marker. You know, things are not perfect, but look how far we've come where the, where we can have a black female Supreme Court justice. Right. Okay, so it sounds like what happens is, so right now there's like a, it's a 22 senator committee that's been interviewing her, and then they vote, and then depending on like what happens, they can push it to go to a full Senate vote if they want to instead of just the committee. And then, yeah, depending on what the full Senate vote is, then it would send it on to vice president. Kamala Harris. Okay. Who would be the tiebreaker? Yeah. But I got my fingers crossed. Her credentials are incredibly impressive. She's just, I don't know, the way she's put up with some of this questioning. I was going to say, I, I do like think with it's such grace and a plum. It's, I mean, just, I'm yeah. like, 
I can't maintain that kind of composure in most situations. You know, like I've had clients at work make me cry in the bathroom and she is being just grilled and picked and to she's pieces. been doing it with like a and smile on, live, on her face on live fucking tv did you see the picture of her daughter Mm-mm. there's a there so there's a picture my mom actually sent this to me uh so it's it's her like sitting and being questioned then her daughter is kind of in the back and she's just looking at her mom like you go mom like That's just adorable. this just such like she's just radiating with pride and i'm like I love you. Like, what What an amazing role model to have in your life. Well, that's what I, I thought. Like, she's just so strong, like, because she just sits there with a smile on her face, regardless of what they're saying about her. Yeah. No, she, I, I, I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. But, yeah, keep telling me about how women are way too emotional and can't keep their shit together right. when the last man who was being grilled started crying like Did a bitch. Did he bit. really? Oh, Kavanaugh? He threw a goddamn fit. Well, and didn't he get in? Didn't they? He still him? got in. Yeah, which yeah. Is stupid. Oh my god, I haven't seen a tantrum like that since I worked with preschoolers. Jeez. I was, I was so, I was, and then there, everything surrounding that was just at. It well, was yeah, really hard to watch. I, it was really. I, mean, fucking I didn't hard watch to that watch. one because I'm like, he should have never gotten to this point. I was actually at the gym and they had it on the news, and I'm like. Like, I'm like, there's nowhere else to look. There's TVs everywhere. And I'm just right. seeing, uh, it was, I hated it. It was, ugh. Ugh. but anyway, fuck him. <laughs> Kentanji Brown Jackson. You're amazing. Whatever the hell happens, you are amazing. And my God, we are so lucky to just have you in the world right, right. now. <laughs> Cause she, she would be the first black woman to sit on the nation's highest court if she gets in. That blows my mind. Yep. Oh, so Monday they start the process for 100 U.S. senators to vote on whether or not she'll get in. Okay. Okay. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to look up more information about it, and all the articles I found were like, this is why this Republican senator doesn't want her, and this is why this Republican senator is being a dick about it. And I'm like, God damn. I don't, yeah, I'm like, if you have general genuine concerns, fine. But right. every every time I read one of those articles, I'm just like, what? Yeah, like half of them are, well, she's, you know, African-American and the other half are, well, she's a woman. And it's like, those are not legitimate concerns. Well, and it's not even like that's being outright said. It's it's the implication or it's like, no, we yeah, need to find. It, and then yeah. there there's a party, party line oh, yeah. thing. And it's just like, yeah, I feel like we're all just. Anyway. So we got all that news out of the way. Uh, but yeah, the, the day this episode comes out is when they're going to vote. So, voting. okay, positive vibes. Positive vibes, positive vibes. Gotta send out those positive vibes. We, we were totally vibing over here. We were. It was intense. Uh, it was I'm tingling yeah. in all of my places. <laughs> all of my places. <laughs> all right, so... I get to whine first. Yeah, Kelly, who are you whining about today? I'm whining about Rebecca Lukens. Rebecca Lukens. Yeah. Love it. So you know how people always talk about like how tragedies define people? You're so much stronger because of the horrible shit that happened yeah, to you. Basically. Yeah. Um, well, that that's kind of what happened to Rebecca. Okay. So <laughs> maybe um, I shouldn't have taken such a sarcastic tone. I'm gonna start at the end, and then we'll go backwards. So when she was 31 years old, she was expecting her sixth child. 
And unfortunately, Rebecca would lose her husband that same year to an unexpected illness. So he just like up and died. It wasn't like they knew he was dying. He just got sick and died. Just just really quick before we move on. He literally just up and died. This isn't like a... He ran into my knife. He ran into my no, knife. No, no. Okay. He legitimately died from an unexpected <laughs> just, illness. I'm like, I've been listening to so much true crime lately. Or it's like, your husband just like up and died. It was so no, weird. No, this is no arsenic poisoning. Okay. This is legit. He so like. Man, men just can't hold their arsenic. Some. Yeah, exactly. No, okay. He, he got some legit ailment. I just need to know died. how to feel about this. <laughs> um, and on his deathbed, uh, he... Charles made his wife, Rebecca, promise that she would take over the Brandywine Ironworks and Nail Factory, which was her family business, which he had been running prior to his death, because the year before, her father had died. Oh, my God. And he had been running the mill. Um, and while he never, like, in his will didn't leave it to Charles and Rebecca, he, on his, like, deathbed, he made Rebecca a promise, like, a verbal promise that it did belong to her. Remember when verbal agreements were a thing? thing? That could be. (laughs) So while white women from less privileged backgrounds were increasingly working outside the home at that time, particularly in textile mills and stuff like that, white middle-class women, which was what Rebecca was, were expected to tend the home, prioritize homemaking, Mm -hmm. you know, be a mom and all of these things, which obviously... Rebecca was having her sixth kid. Like, she knew that. Yeah. Who runs the house? Girls. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And these domestic ideals that were, you know, permeated all of society at the time, but very much so led Rebecca's mother in particular to believe that this iron industry that was incredibly male-dominated was no place for a woman. Yeah. And so even though, you know, she knew her husband wanted Rebecca to have it, she would fight against her daughter like tooth and nail, basically. I mean, it's kind of like nowadays. I mean, so many women are in the workforce, even breaking into previously male dominated industries. But there are definitely industries we still see as male dominated, like construction. Yeah. Building, you know. Right. Plumbing. Even like doctors, I feel like it's been in the last, you know, like. 20, 30 years that you've seen more women start being doctors. Actually, it's funny. I was watching an old episode of Golden Girls and a doctor made a house call in the episode and she was a woman. And uh, I think it was Blanche made a comment like, oh, I'm not used to being examined by a woman doctor. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the fucking 80s. <laughs> Again, I mean, we've covered women doctors as far back as, you know, God knows when, but yeah. it wasn't like common. ancient Rome. <laughs> yeah. But... So Rebecca had learned the business first from her father and then from her husband, who often consulted her as he would advance and expand this company. And though it was nearly bankrupt when her husband died, uh, Rebecca would actually go on to revive the mill and make it profitable. But this, of course, would come at tremendous personal and financial costs. So rewinding a little bit, prior to running the mill, Rebecca's life was no... was. No different than other young women in the industrialized nation. The only reason it was a little bit different is because they were Quakers. Oh. So, like, they, she grew up in a Quaker education. Lots of oatmeal. I just had some Quaker oats this morning, and I, I felt some now. I felt very puritanical. That's funny. Although I add brown sugar, so I'm probably going to hell. Yeah, that's what I always do. <laughs> so she was the first child of her parents, Isaac and Martha Pennock, and she was born in January 6, 1794 in Pennsylvania, because that's where most of the Quakers were. Yep. Um... So obviously, like, her whole life was very much shaped by her faith. 
Like the Quakers were a very strong, you know, faith-based mm-hmm. community. And what was cool about the Quakers, though, is they actually sent like most of their children to school, regardless mm-hmm. of gender, which That's is, awesome. I always thought was really cool. So yeah, because of their religious connections, Rebecca got to attend two different Quaker boarding schools where she learned subjects. My notes say traditional subjects, but I would say like traditional for Air us. Bunnies. <laughs> traditional for us though, like because she learned math, chemistry, and French. And then at home, her father taught her the ins and outs of the family business. I didn't even know they invented chemistry by then. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that invented like in the 60s or something? <laughs> I mean, yeah. This is like basic chemistry, not yeah. like intense stuff. Like baking soda mixed with vinegar yeah, volcanoes. Exactly. That's all they were doing back then. <laughs> so the Brandywine Ironworks um, that her father ran, which was named for the Brandywine uh, River that helped power the mill. Mm-hmm. Um, It's specialized in the production of small iron products such as nails, wheels, barrel hoops, and blacksmith rods. And Rebecca would often join her father on business trips. Um, And it was on a trip. It was on one of these business trips to Philadelphia that she would actually meet the man that would become her husband. Her husband was Dr. Charles Lukens, who was a fellow Quaker and a physician with a thriving medical practice in um, Abington, Pennsylvania. I don't know where that is. It's in Pennsylvania. It's in Pennsylvania. On the east coast of the United States. <laughs> on the continent of North America. <laughs> Adjacent the to the Earth. Atlantic Ocean. Um, the two would fall in love and marry in 1813. And soon after marriage, um, Charles would change his professional course, giving up his medical practice to join his father-in-law in the family business. Nice. Which is great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, eventually, um, Isaac, so... Uh, Rebecca's dad would um, lease Brandywine Ironworks to Charles for $420 a year, and he would take over operating the mill. Charles sensed that bringing in new technologies would help power the nation's industrial age, and so he began transitioning the mill from small, you know, iron things to making iron boiler plates for steamships. Those uh, vinegar and baking soda volcanoes are getting way more complex. Oh, yeah. It's like little people around the edge, you know, yeah, you know some little, little villages. Trees. Yeah, little yeah. trees, props. By 1818, <laughs> the mill had become the first to roll iron boilerplate. So they're making some big, you know, big moves. Mm-hmm. And in March 1825, a foundry and machine shop um, actually commissioned the Brandywine Ironworks to provide the material for the nation's first ironclad steamship, the Corderus. Cordera? The Clitoris? Corder- no, C O D O R U S. Cotterus? Cart. I'm going to call it the clitoris. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Charles would accept the order and then die in the summer before, like, before it was oh, due. Oh. He so, also never found the clitoris. Know, right? He never got to see it. Um, in November of that year, as the ship set sail, um, Rebecca would take over management of the ironworks. And although the ironworks received much acclaim in its part for helping build the clitoris or the corderus, the business was far from profitable at that point. Um, in fact, because of the improvements that Charles had made to the mill before he died, the business actually had a lot of debts because he bought a lot of yeah. new machines and stuff, including two loans from Rebecca's father, even though he was dead. Oh. You know, he still owed the family. Yeah. In addition to the financial strain that came with trying to pay off the mill's debts, Rebecca's relationship with her mother grew tense, obviously, because her mother didn't her want mother her doing Her mother didn't that. want her doing this in the first place. Rebecca also had two younger brothers that also 
were kind of like on their mother's side and trying to take the they factory wanted to from run Rebecca. it. Exactly. Oh, okay. So it caused a lot of strain in the family. And like I said, while her father had made a verbal promise to Rebecca, his will never directly stated that. It said that he left all personal property to his wife while she was living and required that the real estate be equally divided among their ch- youngest child. That's what it says. When, oh, equally divided when the youngest child came of age. You know what I think is interesting? We We see this pattern a lot in our stories where there's a woman who's like, doing the damn thing, stepping outside of societal boundaries. But then when the man or men that she's associated with right. who have given her a level of protection are no longer there. Yeah. Then everyone's like, okay, now we pounce. Right. Yep. And so the her mom did have the power to be able to give Rebecca the mill and to release the terms of lease and cancel the loans. But she instead required Rebecca to continue paying on the loans. And when Rebecca appealed to her mother, Martha remained resolute in her belief that Rebecca should not run the business. And so Boo. she was like, no, if you're going to run the business, I'm going to keep charging you all this money. Um, and so Rebecca would go on to later call this period of her life a hard and weary struggle. Which, yeah, makes yeah. sense. Well, it's it's got to be so hard. Like, your father's died, who you were obviously very close with. Your and then husband the next died. next year, your husband dies while you're pregnant with your sixth child. And then, you're, and then, like, the only family you have left are trying to take everything right. from you and being like, no, I don't, I don't like it. Right. Boobs and iron don't mix. Luckily, a lot of Charles Lucan's former business partners and friends actually agreed with Rebecca and helped her work to save the mill. They would loan her materials on credit and give her time to complete outstanding orders. And eventually one of her brother-in-laws, Solomon Lukens, would come to help by running the daily operations of the mill so she could kind of do more of the like long-term background work. And Rebecca would often work long hours and take calculated risks. And by doing that, she was able to pay off the mill's debts and satisfy all outstanding orders that were there at the time of her husband's death. I hope she was doing that and just like she was wearing her sunglasses and just being like her little Quaker hat. Yeah. Because they always wore those like yep. bonnets. Like, look what I can do, motherfuckers. Look right, what I can out. do. Um, So being the only woman in a man's world of iron manufacturing, Rebecca's Quaker faith actually helped guide her business practice, especially the principles that the Quakers say, like they call it fairness and peace with others. So she very much took that to heart. And when she faced several lawsuits related to her business, Rebecca held her ground, but accepted judgments rendered even when they were not in her favor. So she's like, you know what? I'm not going to make a big deal, even if things don't turn out the way I need or I want them to, which I think is great. And in 1837, the nation experienced a recession. Yay. That, don't you don't you just love those? We got, right. You know what? You know, people hate recessions so much. We need to just stop having them. I know. It would be so much easier. Yeah. Can we hashtag cancel culture recession? Yeah, I 100% <laughs> agree. Also, uh, while we're at it, I'm going to hashtag cancel culture uh, depression, both economic and mental <laughs> Like, no, it's not a thing yeah, anymore. Yeah, um, seasonal affect disorder. Yep, everyone's... Cancel culture that as well. Everyone's uh, mental illness just... They're gone. Is, they it, don't exist. It, it, it's not that we're ignoring it. It's totally resolved. Yeah. It's it, like, just, evaporates. Everyone is happy now. Yeah, like, constantly. That would be creepy. That would be so <laughs> creepy. What's up? I'm so happy. <laughs> 
there's a game called We Happy Few. Yeah. Where you take joy pills, and that's yes. what it is. Everyone just has like this mask that they're just smiling all the time. And it's like this weird British it's 60s super creepy. fever dream drug trip. Yeah, because there's a part where like it's at the very beginning, so it's not even spoilery. That they're like, oh, come like beat up this pinata with us, and, and so you a, do. Yeah. But then you're you're they're called joy. That's the, what the pills called. Yeah. Your pill wears off, and they're smashing a dead rat and eating it, and it's so yeah. disturbing. It's it's a nightmare. Did that game ever actually come out? Yeah, I it's, played it. Okay, because I kept seeing trailers for it, and like they kept releasing different I beat footage. It, but I played it. It's a weird game. But I could never find out if it came out. I'm like. I don't play like a lot of console or PC games. I mostly play Pokemon Go on my phone. <laughs> That's my brand. It's really of interesting. I want to. Okay, can can I come over and just watch you play it? Because I I just want to know what happens. Right. I want to know what the story is. Yeah, it's, it's I have, like I said, I haven't gotten very far, but it's real dark. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> a little bit I've done. Anyways, so um, obviously this recession brought production to a standstill especially for something like an ironworks factory like right. there's not gonna be much demand for that stuff so a lot of ironworks factory companies were forced to fire their workforces however rebecca decided to keep her workforce on and instead of like having them work on their typical stuff she employed them to repair the mill and you know do upgrades and other stuff like that that can't get done during normal business mm-hmm. and while the mill was not profitable during this period, it was one of the few ironworks places that did not close. She never had to close wow. her doors. Yeah, it was huge. It's like, hey, it's rough, but we were able to limp along versus just falling dead. Right, exactly. Unfortunately, her mother continued to be a huge thorn in her side and did everything and continued to do everything in her power to screw her daughter over. I feel like we have a lot of listeners that maybe don't have the best relationships or complicated relationships with their mothers who are just like, yeah, I fucking I totally know this trip. Right? I know this bitch. And so, like I said, you know, Rebecca had brothers. And one of the things, yeah, Martha kept trying to, like, give the Ironworks factory to Rebecca, despite the fact that Rebecca rebuilt the plant herself, paid off all of the debts and all of those things. Um, however... Due to her father's will being poorly worded and her late husband's being non-existent because he died super unexpectedly. Right. Um, Rebecca actually went to court to fight her mother over it. Um, and they fought over it for 20 years. Her mother then died. And then, <laughs> and then she had to continue fighting her brothers. Oh, my God. She did eventually win but she ended up paying for the property probably two or three more times than it was worth. This is some like serious family drama, right? This is this is this some, is like, when you win the, when family. you win the court case. You're like, yeah, I'm never speaking to you again. Yeah, go yeah. fuck yourself. But you have to love your family. You absolutely do, do not. not. Anyone who choose says your, you that you can choose your family just as much as be born into. Anyone it. who says that you're required to love your family is full of shit and probably comes from like a stable family situation, right? And don't trust those people. <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. No. They're the people that are like super happy all the time, and you're like. Yeah, what drugs are you on and where can I get them? Where's, where's, who's your joy hookup? (laughs) By the 1840s, Rebecca's mark on the mill and the milling industry in the area was absolutely undeniable. If her mom had been alive, she would, you know, the mom would probably be like, okay, my bad. No, she wouldn't because she's toxic. (laughs) Um, So she had, not only had she completely renovated the mill and made it profitable, 
by the by 1844 Wait, she renovated renovated oh remember when the that's right when the recession hit she had all the people working on like upgrading the mill that's right i sorry i thought reminate was like a renovated. fancy ironworks no. or business term that i didn't know um so she so she had renovated it made it profitable and then by 1844 she alone so not even like it's her and owning the mill she was worth about sixty thousand dollars in those days which is about 1.8 million today. Oh, is that all? Oh my god. So she god. went from being in debt when she got the ironworks from her husband, which was in uh 1825 to less than 20 years later being, you know, um making almost being worth almost Two million dollars. Yeah, while fighting with her family the entire yeah, to o- time, even own it. It's, it's, yep. it's not like she was just like you know working on her hustle. Like she was constantly being dragged back. She was constantly facing that resistance. Right. So after twenty two years of hard work and running the business, Rebecca's health unfortunately began to decline. And in eighteen forty seven, she would withdraw from running her business. I thought you were going to say she was going to die, and I'm like, everyone, the story is dying. I know it takes place in the eighteen hundreds, but normally we don't talk about like we just assume everyone died at some point. At some we don't point, talk you know. about it. This this story like has a body count to it. Yeah, I know a lot of people have died. Um. No, I lost my place. Hold on. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I distracted you. Oh, so she would withdraw from running the business. And at the end of her life, she would have accumulated over $100,000 in personal property, a far cry from the $15,000 she had been left with. She carefully e- earmarked it for each of her children, made a very like <laughs> specific will <laughs> because she was hell bent to not make the same mistakes in her will that her father and her husband had. Although I don't really blame her husband because he just kind of like died like but now now granted I know having six kids back then was not a big deal like everyone had tons of kids but if you have a child you should have a will no like I know people that they're having their second child and they were like okay we're putting our will together like you know just in case something happens I'm like dude no go for it I feel like I feel like even if you're just if you're married you should have a will. I don't think I do, but I probably should. Kelly. I mean, everything just goes to Justin. Everything goes to my parents. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and on with with the condition that they have to take care of Arthur and the cheese. Yeah. Yep. Which they would my mom loves the cheese so yeah, much. And she loves cats, Arthur. So, so. <laughs> they're cats who listen and want to cuddle with you. Um so Rebecca would die on December 10th, 1854. Um, I couldn't really find what she died from. Like most things were just like her health declined and she died. I'm like, all right. That's as one does. As I guess. one does, you know, I mean, she would have been oh, math. I should have math this before. Hold on. Math is a nightmare. What is seven times 12? <laughs> Did I tell you that story? No, I'm trying to find like when she was born. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell the story while you're looking up, looking up. I was modeling one time and I had to pose for 20 minutes at a time. Oh, yeah. And when they're playing like really slow jazz music, it's really hard to just mentally keep your shit together because there's nothing to do but sit and wait. So I started doing my times tables in my head as a way of passing the time because I'm like, by the time I, it's, I'm not going to finish in 20 minutes. I'm so bad at mental math. And I, um, 
you know, I got through it. And then one of the artists who I was friends with was like, hey, are you like doing okay? I'm like, yeah, why? It's like, well, you just had this like kind of angry face, like this really intense face. And they, and they drew, they like captured that face in their drawing. And I, I told them, I was like, oh yeah, I was, I was doing my timetables to pass the time. I was probably just trying to figure out what like seven times 12 was. And they titled the piece seven times 12. And I'm just like, yes, this is the weird face I make when That's I'm funny. when I math. So now I know what I look like when you when you do when math. I, when I do math naked. <laughs> so she was 60 when she died. Uh, Which I for mean, the for the time, 1800s, that's yeah, the, whatever. It's not that bad, you know. I mean, she um, outlived a lot of people in this story. Yeah, so after her death, the Brandywine Iron uh, Works was renamed the Lucan's Irons Works, and later the Lucan Steel in her honor and her husband's honor, Aww. which is nice. And it was a Fortune 500 company. Shut up. Uh, for quite a while, and was actually managed for 125 years by her descendants. Oh my god! Yeah, so it was a thing. Who ruined it? Uh, no, I think they just eventually like I don't know if they just eventually ran out of heirs or they just ended up selling it. Okay, I, I mentioned it a little bit later again. In 1994, Fortune magazine recognized her as America's first female industrialist leader, and in the same year, she was inducted into the National Business Hall of Fame. The lucky thing is, and the reason we have so much detail about her life, which almost never happens, is because um, about 150 years after her death, they found her diary like <gasps> in the walls of her home. Oh, my God. And it very much revealed the personal struggles of a woman trying to move on from all of this tragedy. Of the early days of her husband's death, she wrote, quote, With some fear but more courage, I began to struggle for a livelihood. I think at this period I must have possessed some energy of character, for now I look back and wonder at my darling, or my daring. I had such strong, such powerful incentives for exertion that I felt I would, I must succeed. Can you imagine that? You are pregnant with your sixth child, and you are now a widow right, and a single mother, and your family is actively trying to drag you down. You have no one. You have no allies, and you still build up this business that lasts for a hundred, like a hundred years. Right. Oh my God. Um, so other honors she received after her death is during world war two, there was um, a ship named the SS Rebecca Lukens, which was built in Panama city, Florida, and obviously named for her. Yeah. Um, and so when I said the company remained on the Fortune 500 list, so that was until 1997. Shut up. They were ranked almost consistently at 395 of the of 500. Yeah. So that's decent. Um, and they, so in 1994, they were considered to be the oldest continuous operating steel mill in the U.S. And it is still running today. It is just really? now owned by Cleveland Cliffs. That is wild. But it is still, that same mill is still operating today. And then in 2020, Rebecca was one of eight women featured in the only one in the room, which was a display at the Smithsonian National Museum of American History. That is super cool. Yeah. So it's short, but I feel like she did a lot. Um, I also yeah, love that, that Rebecca Lukens. I also love that she got to tell her own story, and I hope they publish that diary and it's titled, titled "Look Lukens Me Now." Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I think I found the episode title. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, Lukens Me Now: The Story of a Badass Industrialist Who Told Her right? Toxic Family to Go Fuck Themselves. <laughs> oh my god. 
I don't know. It always it always blows my mind like what some of these women endured. And not only not only endured, but were able to rise above. Because yeah. I'm like, oh man, I, I stub my toe and I'm like, my life is so hard. My chihuahua gives me a black eye and I'm like, my life is so hard. <laughs> That's super funny. Well, thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Who are you whining about today? So today I am whining about Henriette Monique Hanot. Ooh. Yeah, and I want to give a special shout out to my ma'ams. Your What's ma'am. up, Gwen? Because she recommended this gal to me. She like sent me the article, Aww. and actually, I got a little nervous because, uh, and you'll you'll realize this the more I get into it. I thought we had already covered her, but we. But I was like, oh, mom, sorry, like I can't take your recommendation. That I realized it wasn't the same person. Well, now we have a list, and now, you can just yes, look at the list in exactly. case you need to. Because there was someone else I was looking at covering, and yeah, she was on our list. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> All right. So uh, Henriette Hannah was born August 10th, 1920 in Sipo, France. Yes. Ooh. There's a lot of, there's a bunch of French in here. Um, it also takes place in Belgium. Linguistic butchery abounds. Deal with it. Deal with it. <laughs> I will deal with it. Um, so her, so she was born in France, but her family relocated to rooms in Belgium near the French border. So they just like jumped across the border and were like, oh, we're not? here now. Yeah. Um, she grew up with her younger brother and the two helped care for the farm, hotel, and restaurant and customs agency her parents oh, owned. Geez, They're yeah. all about that hustle, hustle, all about that hustle, hustle. So Henriette's <laughs> father, Colvin, was a fiercely patriotic World War I veteran who's probably just like super relieved to leave the fighting behind him, run his run his businesses, raise his family, and just never have to like deal with that kind of shit ever again. <clears throat> so Henriette <laughs> lived so close to France that she actually crossed the border every day to attend school. Oh, that's kind of so cool. So she, she, yeah, she would just like stroll across the border to go to school in <laughs> France. Love. Yeah, can you imagine? Like, yes, I had an international education. I walked ten feet <laughs> to school <laughs> to the next country. Like, it sounds so fancy when it's it like does, my school like, was no. in walking distance. It was fine. Um, so she attended school in the French village of Bashi, and the officers who worked the customs post came to know Henriette as she passed by each day. They were like, oh, hey, Henriette, what's up? What's the hat? Right, exactly. They're just <laughs> what's like, crack- what's good, girl? What's good? What's the good word? Did you bring us some waffles? <laughs> Chocolate, obviously. Oh, that's right. But there is Belgian waffles, too. Belgian waffles, Drizzled with chocolate mm. and topped with strawberries. Now I'm hungry, even though I just ate dinner. And just the steam coming off of the little honeycomb. Like, this is, <laughs> this is going to be my new um, OnlyFans ASMR yeah. where I'm just food. describing just delicious food. food. Okay, honestly, th- that's got to be a thing. Oh, yeah. That's got to be a thing, right? Where you're just describing a meal or something. Or like oh, 100%. soft cornbread coming right out of a hot oven, steaming so fiercely because they just can't contain the heat. <laughs> that's gas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I'm okay now. I'm, I can't tell if I'm hungry or horny. I know. I think Both? I'm, I'm, I'm horny for food. <laughs> anyway, sorry. What were we talking about? <laughs> food. Food. 
Um, yeah, food. Okay. So the world Henriette was living in was growing increasingly turbulent. Hitler, yes, this is one of those stories, if you hadn't Yay. already figured it out, became Chancellor of Germany in 1933 when Henriette was only 13 years old. Oof. That's already a rough age. And then, like, the world is beginning to end around you. Yeah, that's fun. Six years later, the Nazis invaded Poland. Then, in May of 1940, three months shy of Henriette's 20th birthday, the Nazis invade her native country of Belgium. Ugh. Which is why I'm like, it's probably super offensive that we were like, is Belgium in Germany or Germany adjacent? Germany adjacent. I will never, I will never make that mistake again. I, I always know now. And learning is, knowing is half the battle. So her world, sorry, I totally lost my, <laughs> oh, like Ke- Kelly saw it. I was like turning my entire head around, like looking everywhere but my screen, like I lost my place and I can't find it. So her world changed almost immediately. That same month, two British soldiers came to the Hanal family home begging for help. They were trapped in enemy territory after having been shot down and needed help getting across the border to France, which I think at this point had not been invaded yet. It would be, obviously, Mm -hmm. and then occupied, but like... regardless of its status, you had to go through France to like get the fuck out. So Henriette and her family dressed the stranded soldiers as coal merchants and personally escorted them to France, where then they got the fuck out and got to safety. Somehow word got out about the Hanox family's uh, kindness because soon after they helped the two British soldiers, an MI-19 British war officer showed up at their door. Oh, shit. As one does. I'd be a little bit terrified, to be perfectly honest. Right? The officer's job was to help POWs and downed airmen get to safety, and he had a hefty request for the family. He wanted their 19-year-old daughter, Henriette, to join the Belgian resistance. Ooh. Heck yeah. As one does. As one does. I mean, what else do 19-year-olds do? They're having this conversation over, like, chocolate-drizzled waffles and cornbread, and it's all very casual. Like, yeah, I want your teenage daughter to join the resistance because fuck the Nazis. Henriette was actually like, I mean, um, yeah, fuck Nazis. They suck. They suck so bad. Get out of her stories. So Henriette was in a unique position to help. She was a young woman who wouldn't draw much suspicion because sexism. Uh, She was intimately familiar (laughs) with the area and regularly crossed the border. So she wouldn't draw suspicion. Right. Like like, everyone knew her. She did that regularly. Like it didn't matter. She also knew all of the trails and hidden paths and the guards themselves. So she was, you know, she had the, the home, home team advantage. Suddenly be like, who the fuck are you? And why are you coming here? Exactly. Why are you suddenly coming here every day? Oh no, you've been doing that since you were a kid going to school. Henriette was given a mission to help smuggle allied soldiers and airmen across the border to safety. With this mission, she was given a code name, Monique, the name that she would use for the rest of her life. So I will now refer to Henriette as Monique because that was the name that she's like, nah, this is who I am. Right. And just like that, Monique became the newest member of the Comet Line. Kelly's face. I should have taken a video of just her being like, oh my God. We've talked about that before. So if that sounds familiar, that's because Kelly talked about the Comet line in episode 107 when she covered Andre Dijon, Nick yeah. codenamed Didi. Didi. Or yeah. Didi? No, Didi. Didi. We called her Didi. Uh, and she was the Comet line's most famous member. So 
Super quick refresher. The Comet Line was a volunteer resistance group that operated through occupied Belgium and France during World War II, meant to help allied soldiers who had been shot down over occupied territory. Mm -hmm. Uh, Trying to get them into friendly territory. Exactly, exactly. Um, So it would help uh, help them evade Nazi soldiers and safely get back to Great Britain by way of neutral Spain and Gibraltar and all that. Yeah, I remember Spain was not like super chill because they had a whole dictator situation, yeah, but like Spain in regards to in regards on. to World War II, like it was a a better they bet. Were, they weren't Nazis. Yeah. So the network had many stops along the way where Allied soldiers were hidden, fed, and given new identities and smuggled along the way to safety with the threat of death ever present. The Comet Line's motto was "Fight without arms" because their whole thing was to be nonviolent they're like we're just trying to help these these soldiers get home and survive we're not gonna go out and like shoot people which valid you know like there's a need to help these help these soldiers get to friendly territory go off monique's involvement was a family affair soldiers would be sheltered two at a time in her family's hotel there monique's cousins would forge documentation for the soldiers while her mother fed them and drilled them on their french aliases until their pronunciation was perfect we would do terribly the soldiers were also equipped with french or german magazine clippings to use as props to sell the whole illusion Cause That's like, super cool. Yeah, because yeah, I just have to, you know, like, I'm from around here. I'm like, yay, Germany. Like, right, like, whatever. look, I have the propaganda on me. It's yeah, fine. it's totally chill. Then Monique would smuggle the soldiers, codenamed Parcels, across the border. Nice. Monique's missions ranged from handing parcels off to agents across the border to guiding them hundreds of miles around Belgium by bike under the cover of night. And this meant violating the Nazi-enforced curfew. Well, like, yeah, not only are you toting around a an allied soldier with you, yeah, yeah then you're You're out. not even supposed to be out at yeah. that time. And the penalty of that was death. Yep. Like, they, they could just shoot you yeah. in the street. They didn't care. Yeah. It was a little terrifying. Monique would also take parcels all the way to Paris by herself. That's huge. There was no shortage of allied soldiers who needed help. Monique recalled, quote, we were bursting at the seams. We didn't know where to put them anymore. And my mother said to me, hurry up. There were two of them and there were two of them who were leaving and two of them who were arriving. It's like your mom scolding you for like not doing your chores fast. I was like, hurry, mom, we need to move these allied soldiers through here because I'm getting overwhelmed. I'm. I'm I'm trying to make the food. I'm trying to take care of the kids. I'm trying to give the soldiers new aliases. I'm trying to forge documentation. Can you pick don't up have the pace? Time. Pick up the pace. If I and if I don't read that chapter of the book for book club, everyone's gonna give me dirty looks. Right? Like I'm gonna be there, and then Susan's just gonna be like, "I knew you wouldn't do it," and fuck you, Susan. <sighs> don't even get me started about Karen. What a bitch. <laughs> doesn't understand you know these these are the definitely the problems these people were dealing with 100 100 percent. so monique was savvy she used her friendship with the border guards to her advantage they would keep her updated on the movements of nazi soldiers and if approached by enemy soldiers she would pretend that the parcels were her boyfriends Ooh. so she'd just be like what's uh, up boy? Yeah. yeah she starts grinding on them because that's what you did in the 1940s when you were dating people right just like backs that ass up right yep. into him like ooh, ooh 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 back that ass up <laughs> <laughs> I, I i 
clearly don't know how to behave in a relationship because right. I'm like, that's how you pretend someone's your boyfriend, right? right. You just start like booty shaking, twerking. Yeah, I, mean, I agreed with you. <laughs> so Monique's quick wits helped to ensure her safety and that of the soldier she escorted. Ooh. While transporting a group of airmen on a passenger train, a Nazi soldier asked one of the men for the newspaper that he was carrying. Because remember, they had all these little props. And actually, the, the Nazi soldier tried to strike up a conversation with him. And while these soldiers had been trained on their aliases and that pronunciation, they didn't fucking speak German or France or, or France. <laughs> they don't speak France. Okay. We don't not speak only, France either. Not only can I not pronounce <laughs> French words, I can't even refer to the language and the appropriate context. We don't speak France either. Yo soy muy mal. <laughs> I'm trying to learn Spanish. Well, maybe it'd be estoy muy mal. I don't know. Spanish speakers, come at me. Help me be better. <laughs> but so he's like trying to strike up a conversation with this guy who may not even know what the soldier is saying and is probably shitting his pants because that's what I would do. Right. While Monique and her mother drilled the Allied soldiers on pronouncing their French aliases, they were not prepared to have a full conversation. And this is the point in the story where Kelly and I would be royally fucked in every oh, yeah. sense of the We'd word. Be like, fuck, 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 fuck. I don't, I can't pronounce French, let alone speak yeah. it. <laughs> or I can't like listen to <laughs> I, I can't pronounce it, let alone speak. Yeah. I mean, I love how. So true. Okay. Can I just point out that 90% of the linguistic butchery in this episode is us trying to speak in our native language and just not being able to? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Apparently, we can't speak English it's either. Been, it's been a week. It's been a weekend. Kelly had to save me when my battery died. It's been a time. So, I was basically in a migraine coma. Yeah. For all of yesterday. It was great. It's, great time. It's fine. So Monique jumped into action because thank God she took the paper from the allied airmen man to like give to the soldier and took over the conversation with the Nazi distracting him and ensuring that the airmen didn't actually have to have a conversation or reveal themselves. So, you know, like when someone hijacks a conversation, she did it to save lives. Right. Yeah. Which then, is great. Yeah. Then in 1944, I, would be useless. <laughs> I know I I'm like, I don't want to talk with anyone. I just want to sit here. Like, I'd have my earbuds in, just be jamming out, like, to some Celine Dion in French. Just like, what's up? My heart will go on. And the two guys would be taken away, and I would have no idea. Like, where did they go? Where did my parcel go? Yeah. Oh, no. So then in 1944, it was over. Monique was traveling to a safe house in Paris when she saw that the curtains in the window were closed. This was a sign of trouble. A Belgian collaborator had revealed the comet line to the Nazis who were swiftly arresting anyone involved. That's when you see it and you're just like, nope, taking a right-hand turn. Monique narrowly avoided this fate by sheer fucking luck. Nazi soldiers had actually been waiting at the train station to arrest her, but she missed them because her train was three hours late. And everyone knows... A Nazi has no patience. Right. They're like, fuck, where the fuck is this train? Yeah. No, fuck no. This shit. Fuck this. Hate it. Don't like it. Whatever. <laughs> I like to think like the train was three hours late, but they maybe were there for like five minutes and they're like, that's nah, fine. No, Whatever. it's like the whole like, you know, like college kids are like, well, if the professor's 10 minutes late, we get to, that's what it was. They she was like, 15 minutes late. So now we can go we home. Go. <laughs> yeah. We, oh, cool. We can go home. We get a free period. Yep. Like, thank God. Right. 
So on the orders of her British handlers, Monique and fellow resistor Michelle Dumont, who I will have to cover in the future because Michelle was revealed. Michelle was the one who revealed the double agent. <gasps> oh, who revealed oh, I thought the, you were going to no, say no. she was the one that like turned everyone over to the Nazis. No, 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 no. She was awesome. She actually outed. She was the, the one traitor. that was like, it was this person. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's, it's amazing. So I, I started doing a little reading and I'm like, okay, this is Monique's story. I need to stick with that, but I'm going to earmark Michelle. Yeah. Uh, so her and Michelle escaped to England. This required them to follow the same route that they had helped lead allied airmen. Right, including... and just like pray to God that there are no Nazis on the line. Well, and you, they're everywhere. Exactly. It, well, it's you, basically you know what, what they, I mean. Yeah. Like... So this included traveling through now occupied France, dictator controlled Spain, and then finally to England. So like I said, Spain was not Nazi occupied, but it wasn't like it a wasn't chill a situation. Place, yeah. Monique was eager to be redeployed and was even trained in parachuting so she could Holy act as shit. an agent in the Battle of the Bulge. Fuck yeah. They were going to, like, send her to, like, a straight-up battle. But this never came to be. She actually suffered a broken wrist, oh, no. which prevented her from being deployed. Now, granted, I'm sure she was super bummed, but this meant that she would remain in England until the end of the war. Yep. And she celebrated VE Day, or Victory in Europe Day, on May 8th, 1945 in London. So it's possible that because she broke her wrist and was not redeployed, she survived the war. Right. Because, good God, a lot of people didn't who were doing what she was doing. After this, she returned to her family in Belgium, who, as far as I could find, also survived the war, which I'm like, how? Because that collaborator just, like, fucked everyone. So I, I don't know what her family had to do or if they were able to just, like, keep low or right. what the deal was but as far as i i know they they also survived i mean maybe it was just the collaborator like only outed the people actually in the resistance the, the and... agents themselves yeah in belgium monique was reunited with her fiance jules tom who she'd be engaged to this entire time but he really was not relevant <laughs> until now he, i wonder how he felt about her doing this but i mean he, um, maybe he was off fighting himself. he was he was actually into it uh so the two married and jules had been a border guard Aww. so let's add a scene to the smack story where they're exchanging sexy eyes while monique is snuggling sn not snuggling backing Shit. that ass up into another Smuggling. <laughs> i am just the fucking worst right, he, today she's up grinding on a new guy but she's like i fucking her she's boyfriend like, yeah but this is for you You're this right, is like... for you jules um but yeah like you know she she's Go, he, he's a border guard and he's probably one of the people that she's working her, yeah. with. And, you know, like, like as awful as this whole situation is, like, you can't help but like find that a little bit romantic. It is a little bit romantic. And like happy they both survived and were able to get married and live happily ever after. They had two children, Aww. so that was cool. After the war, Monique worked in a hotel that was owned by one of her Comet Line comrade's sons because it's not always about what you know it's about who you know mm -hmm. <laughs> though though the war was over monique would never go back to being henriette using her nom de guerre for the rest of her life unlike many of the women we cover monique lived to be remembered for her courageous acts she was appointed as a member of the british empire for helping Aww. allies and even received the medal of freedom from the united states Heck yeah in may of 2015 the route monique was uh 
using to smuggle airmen from Belgium into France was made into a hiking circuit. And oh my God, I want to hike yeah. that. My hiking boots are tingling right now. That same year, on our list. yes, that same year, she was made an honorary citizen of Bashi, the French town that she grew up across from and oh, like nice. went to school in. And in 2020, she was made an honorary citizen of Nivelles, where she lived at the time. Everyone like wants to like claim her because they're like, you're the fucking best. Monique. Right. There's also a statue of her. Which is amazing, Ooh. and she got to be there when it was revealed. Really? Yeah, yeah. She, 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 she got old. She got old in a good way. <laughs> she, she had the opportunity to get old. So while Monique was honored during her life with titles, medals, and statues, the greatest honor she probably received was meeting the family of one of the men she saved. Tennessee native H.C. Johnson was a technical sergeant who was shot down by German fighter planes. His parachute landed him in a sugar beet field near Locker in Belgium. Hmm. It reminds me of when we, um, we were on another podcast. Uh, we were on Chaos Cast and we covered the, oh, yeah. the gentleman who survived both of the atomic mm-hmm. bombs in Japan and yeah, how he got like flung into a potato patch or something right, like, or like a rice field. And it was like, is that like really soft or something? Okay. <laughs> I mean, rice patties are full of water. Yeah, so. I, I don't think it was that. I, I swear it was like a potato, potato field something or something. Random, yeah. yeah. So he lands in the sugar beet field and he was connected with Monique, who guided him to safety over the course of 54 days. So this wasn't like, oh, I'm putting in a couple hours, you know, of resistance work and then no, I'm going home at the, night. this is like she brought him all the way to France. This is, this is your life. Yeah. When the pair reached British-controlled Gibraltar, so she brought him like all the fucking way. Yeah. They parted never to see each other again. Sergeant Johnson survived the war and returned to Tennessee where he managed movie theaters, had two children, and became the Aww. grandfather of three before passing away in 1984. In 2015, over 70 years after Monique had guided Sergeant Johnson to safety, his sister Sue Rourke and niece Anita Rourke attended a celebration in Belgium honoring Monique's resistance work. Sue not only got to meet the woman who saved her brother's life, but also gave her a hug. They hugged it out. Yeah. Can you they imagine? Were probably, I would be sobbing if I was and either one of them. Th- this, this, this part just kills me. Monique had only one thing to ask of Sue. Did he make it home? I mean, I'm at not least we know, At least we know the answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, can you imagine that? Like she, she helped all these men and never knew what, what happened. happened. Or, or if they if they got caught later on, or if they survived the war, if they made it home to their families, and she's getting to meet this guy's sister and his niece and hear about his life and that he got to have a life, and that just that my heart it, it's just so full oh, right yeah. now. And then yeah, just did he make it home? Because that's just what all these people wanted. They just wanted to go home and for this to be over. On February 20th, 2022, yes, the day before my 31st birthday of this year, because I have to make this all about me. Of course. Henriette Monique Hanat died in Nivelles, Belgium. This year? This year. Wow. She literally just died at the age of 101. Wow. Go Monique. And that's why my mom sent me this article because the New York Times did an obituary, overlooked art. Yeah. yeah, the overlooked obituary on her. 
She was one of the last survivors of the Comet line. Holy shit. Yeah, because Andre, Didi, I think, died during the war. Yeah, I think so. I think she was one of the people that got captured in the betrayal. Yeah. So, Legacy. Honestly, we like we've covered the awards and medals because she literally just died and she got to be alive for a lot of this recognition. But Monique helped to rescue 140 allied soldiers and airmen who had become trapped behind enemy lines. And her legacy lives on infinitely through each survivor and their families. Like that, that is an impact that never stops. It just continues to ripple out because these people would not have had lives and families and connections without help from her and the Comet line. I lied. Dee Dee did not die during oh, the war. Oh, good. I was already like really. She lived until out. she was ninety. Okay, so she didn't die that no. long ago either. It would have been the, the maybe the oh okay. But yeah, I mean, can you imagine there? There are a bunch of human beings running around. Well, that's right, because she went on to work in like Dee Dee went on to work in like leper colonies. Oh yeah. yeah, but like there are a bunch of human beings running around who literally would not be here without Monique putting her neck on the line, right? Or any of those members of yeah. the comment line. Yeah, exactly, exactly. For the she was that like righted them out. <sighs> Fuck him. Yeah, I I have to cover Michelle and like how she outed that son of a bitch. But yeah. So Emily, what are you thankful for? Um, I'm really thankful that you helped me jumpstart my car. You're welcome. <laughs> I was at a friend's last night and I was getting ready to leave and my car wouldn't start because my battery died. And we tried jumping it and it just was not happening. So my friend was nice enough to give me a ride home, which like, thank you so much. I really didn't want to have to walk. And it was late. So I was like, Try to think of like which of my friends might wake up if the phone is ringing. I mean, I would have, but I would have been in the city, so you would have had to wait like yeah. an hour and a half for me I, to come get you. Okay, I could have called my parents because they have a landline that definitely would have woken them up, but I really didn't want to do that because I think my mom would probably have a panic attack. Yeah, probably. She probably would have thought someone died. Yeah, so. Uh, but yeah, so Kelly, uh, before we recorded, took me back over and helped me jump my car. And so now I'm now I'm here and able to tell you this amazing story. Yay. <laughs> I'm very thankful for that. I'm also thankful that we got the opportunity to be on uh, local news. Like right, that's yeah. just a total, total mind blower. Kelly, what are you thankful for? Obviously the news thing, but I'm also thankful for family that's like really understanding because I was up at my in-laws this weekend, my brother and sister-in-laws. And I, yeah, I woke up yesterday morning with just like an absolutely terrible migraine. And I was like, shit, like I felt like, cause I haven't been gotten one in a while. So I didn't have my meds with me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, but they were super cool that they were like, no, like if you need to go lay down, like go lay down, it's totally fine. Like, and so I'm just, I'm thankful for people that are like understanding yeah, yeah, they're not like gonna force you to just power through and like right. no, have or fun because it makes feel us bad, feel better. Or yeah, make me feel bad if I didn't power through. Like, yeah, no, they were super chill about it, and so that was nice. So I'm just thankful for people like that. Can I also just say I'm really thankful uh, that I was able to text Delta and get our flights changed. So oh, yeah. we, I mean, I guess we should probably start talking about this now because it's um, in just over a month. Kelly and I uh, were invited by Kina of 
historical AF fame and we've we've been on her podcast a few times and it's always an it's always so much fun if you're a patron you can see those videos right like because you know One we, we do we'll the recording have, well, I mean no she's gonna be on ours on April 8th yeah so yeah right, she'll be on ours shit so. we should have said that at the beginning too it's fine okay well okay real quick side note if you are not a patron already, join for as little as $1 a month because on April 8th, we are having a live, a live stream show event with other podcasters that we've worked with over the past three years who we love and who love us. And we're all just going to like jam out and have a good time. And it's just going to be, it's going to be super wild because what I have learned on like working with other podcasters is that we're all a bunch of like nerdy super excited but also like super anxious awkward people who then record and it comes out amazing yeah everyone but everyone's like oh it sounds so weird and we're all just like in love with each other like I love you and I love your podcast no I love you and I love your podcast like it's a really beautiful community but yeah so join as little as one dollar a month to join us on April 8th for that. Yeah, it'll be tons of fun. But also, so we were invited by Kina from Historical AF uh, to the Pacific War Museum in Fredericksburg, Texas, because they are having a massive event, which is including a World War II reenactment that Kelly and I are actually going to be in. I don't want to spoil it, but we might get blown up by a grenade, just saying. And we they're uh, having the reunion of the survivors of the Indianapolis disaster. So we're going to get to be there and see that, which I've been obsessed with that story since I was a kid. And I think there's only two. I think there's only two left. Yeah. And they're finally meeting each other. Yeah. Like it's going to be amazing. And they're going to have some other World War II veterans there. And I'm just it's it's going to be one of those things where. um, It's a once in a lifetime thing. It's once in a lifetime. And I may cry like a bitch. Oh, yeah. I'm sure everyone will. Yeah. Just, but we're we're so excited to have this opportunity. Kina is amazing. We're excited, like get to meet her face to face. I think I'm going to be shocked by how tall she is because she's like six feet. Oh yeah, we're gonna. I'm and, I'm gonna be short, and which yeah, means you're gonna be very short. I'm gonna be. Maybe she'll just like carry me around. <laughs> but like, cause we we sit down when we're doing the podcast recordings, and so I'm never like. I never have to like look at that. Right. It'll be fun though. But I'm, and this museum is, uh, has amazing exhibits, amazing artifacts. It's a really, it's a really spectacular place. So just us being able to shoot some guns. Yeah. (laughs) But just us being able to get to go there and see the museum is incredible. But then being able to, witness and be a part of this event is going to be amazing so we'll definitely be yeah so we're definitely going to be posting more about that and posting while we're there and yeah so we're super excited but yeah join us on april 8th for our birthday our belated birthday celebration the old birthday celebrations yeah yeah we just want to make sure it was stick we won't we, we want to make sure it wasn't like three years. It's like, nah, I'm done. Now we're done. <laughs> uh, I guess three years is all I could deal. Because I was like coordinating with two other pods. So yeah. Yeah. Calendars are tricky. Well, anyway, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAH Pod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com and our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com where we would love to hear from you. Also, uh, you can buy merch on our website. You can find it through our website at whiningaboutherstory.com. We've got merch tab. We've got some sweet, sweet sweet-ass merch. Uh, Also, I will be announcing the winner of the 
contest, the drawing the that winners. we had, the three winners uh, tomorrow. Yay. Yeah. So I will be doing that. I'm super excited. So yeah, like keep an eye out. And seriously, if you're not following us on social media, what the Do fuck it. are we doing? We're What's adorable. I'm going to post a picture of my, my black eye because it just feels like when you get one, it's kind of like, ooh. <laughs> like, yeah. My dog beat me up. This, I have a new saddest injury story. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd love to hear your saddest injury stories. <laughs> Oh, this almost beats me. This almost this actually might beat me having a giant scar on my leg from when I sliced it open with my sandal. Oh, good job. Yeah. Mine was I was chasing after like I had taken out the recycling. This was like a long time ago, but I had a piece of paper had like flown away. And so I was like trying to chase after it. And I went down on like a sheet of ice and <gasps> twisted my ankle real bad. And it was at school, so someone had to, like, get, like, a rolly chair and bring me to the nurse's office. Oh, my God. I I told them, I remember telling them, I'm like, we're not going to tell people I was chasing after a piece of paper. It's like, they they talk about the walk of shame, the rolly chair escort of shame. I was like, (laughs) we're going to pretend I did something way cooler than chasing after a piece of paper. You know what, though? It's because you give a shit about the environment. You were being responsible, You were being very responsible. There's actually a picture of me from college because I accidentally threw our recycling in the trash dumpster. So I climbed into the back of it and dug through looking for the So so, uh, Eli, my roommate, took took a picture of me being in the trash going like, yeah, thumbs. You should have waved till you found the bag and then you could be like, I got it. Yeah, I it was. Yeah, I did find the bag and I did deposit in the correct uh, receptacle. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day, y'all. Bye.